You're tuned in to the Vintage House Show, home to the original stories of the history of house music as told by the legends, pioneers, and icons. Hosted by Kevin Mega McFall, Lori Branch, and Lauren Lowry. Welcome to the Vintage House Show Podcast 2023 edition. This year, the Vintage House Show crew will feature the architects of house music. In 2011, Terry Hunter compiled a list of the 100 most influential DJs of house music. Many of these pioneers have been featured on the show before, but this year we unearthed the most silent of these architects. You'll hear their stories on the podcast that will drop 10 a.m. every third Wednesday. Stay tuned for surprise drops throughout the month. Please enjoy and share the Vintage House Show podcast. We continue with part two of the Vintage House Show podcast. Our talk with DJ T. Shabli. Terry Hunter named T. Shabli as one of the 100 architects of house music in 2011. We spoke with Tim Harris in 2015, where he highlighted some of his favorite songs and his favorite DJ influences, including Jesse Saunders and Ron Hardy. Enjoy the Vintage House Show podcast. So what year were you going to, would you start going to these clubs? Were you in high school going to these clubs or you were in college? No, these clubs weren't even doing their thing until I got to... uh, Cause what happened was, um, I was in college. I would say probably eighty, probably right about the time I, before I started my show, probably about eighty three. Uh, there was a playground, the underground, the power plant, the music box, and they were all kind of going at the same time. So uh, I would say about eighty three, for sure eighty three, because I remember some specific incidents that happened in eighty three. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> uh, like the time my friend Dwight, he, I don't know if you want to record it, but he was driving a car and he veered off somewhere. I don't know, he just blacked out and my head went to the windshield and I still have scars up here. Oh my God. And uh, we were kind of in the midst of preparing to go to the party, getting some mind-altering substances <laughs> to be in the right frame of mind. You know? right. So uh, so I know we were, we were definitely partying then. And I think it was right about that time that um, Ron Hardy... Frankie Knuckles and all those guys were doing their thing mm-hmm. in 83. So you're going to the playground, you're going to the music box, you're in college. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the <clears throat> playground and music box. So tell me first, tell me about the play, the playground. Tell me about the playground. Like what was going on in there? What was the atmosphere in there? Yeah. What was in there? The playground was the earlier, I think it was one of the first venues that really, because that's when I think uh, Frankie had come from New York. He started kind of. He started at the playground, and the only thing about the playground is that he brought a lot of the um, probably the New York um, salsa orchestra, First Choice, Doctor Love, all those mainline Black Ivory, which which probably would have been seen as probably disco right. <laughs> back in the set, but, sure. it, but it was resurrected as you know, we call it classic or deep house music. Right, yeah. um, so he started doing that. The only thing about the playground is that it was still, it hadn't really morphed into this really house movement. There were a lot of curious young kids there, mm-hmm. you know. It, was, it still had a very warehouse type of setting. It was kind of, it was, they, I mean, they're all dark and they dingy, you know. Yeah. You know we got to figure out how much did they pay rent to keep this thing open. <laughs> but, uh, um, 
But it had the elements <clears throat> that the music box and I think the power plant eventually perfected. And that was this, um, this whole sight sound experience where you have these large, overbearing, like train sound effects coming through. And, and just, and you know, uh, they had the fruit out, which, you know, was allegedly, you know, yeah, spiked with something. Yeah, spiked fruit and everything. So, um, but I, I found that the playground was my first venue where I, you know, the party didn't really start until like you know, midnight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I was hearing some songs there that I had not, I had not heard before. I mean, this is this is where I got exposed to like just beat tracks, strobe lights, the whole sight and sound experience. And so. A lot of physical interaction going on, on the dance floor. <laughs> I had seen that before. I gotcha. um, but I had also had never heard bass subwoofers like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, now this is what the party's supposed to sound like. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that, I would say that the, uh, the whole kind of, the whole senses of the sight and sound, I think that's what really drew me in. That's what was going on. It, it was it was nothing like what you experienced in the Lewis room. <laughs> <laughs> very so, different. So very different. And so again, you said the the power plant, and the music box perfected that. Oh, yeah, sure, gotcha. yeah. Because okay. at that point, um, I think Brown Hardy was pretty much doing the music box. It was on right. Indiana, and the power plant was up on Halsted, ten fifteen North Halsted. I think that was more of Frankie. Right. Um, but at that point, you, you you didn't see a lot of the young kids there. Um, you saw a much older, mature crowd. And at this point, you have people in Chicago now putting out music. So you're hearing a lot more local talent. Marshall Jefferson, Jesse Saunders. I think Jesse was there all the time. I'd see him there. Jesse, Jamie Principal, he'd come in and perform. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he come to which one? To the music box and perform, what you're saying? Or uh, power plant? Power plant. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so at that point, you had Mr. Fingers, Mr. I mean, you had all this local talent just exploding. Um, you know, that on top of um, the, uh, I would say, some of the, uh, I guess, more of the older stuff, Lolita Holloway, and I said, it was just, I mean, older stuff, Lolita Holloway, and I said, it was just, I mean, it's one of those, it was, it was so surreal, you just kind of had to be there. Yeah. And, and that was the experience that I brought to EQR, because... No one was riding the EQ faders. No one was doing extended beat tracks. No one was bringing, you know, uh, really um, what I consider to be, like I said, traditional disco, but it was now re resurrected housing and bringing that and then mixing that in still with the stuff that was coming out in Chicago. Mm -hmm. it, no one was doing it yet. Right. And so that, that, I think that's what uh, put Street Beat on the map when I began to pioneer that sound. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, Okay, so you're coming, somehow, you are in school, you are coming down to kicking it at the power plant, and <laughs> and you're doing your show. Um, how is that? How is that as a young person? How are you doing all those different things, and how are your grades? <laughs> Not very good. <laughs> what was your major? My major was computer. Okay, uh, so you're in tech? Computer, yeah. No, I, you know, I started in tech, mm -hmm. and I moved into, uh, well, at that time, it was College of Arts and Sciences, I guess okay, it's now, though, it's, it's called Weinberg. Right, yeah. So there's a computer major in Weinberg, which is computer studies, which is not as uh, quantitative. Sure. It's more programming, you know, operating systems, that type of stuff, mm -hmm. systems analysis. Whereas tech, 
I found that to be just a lot of thermodynamics and physics, and I was just like, I don't want to take this stuff. Core classes are rough. I was, <laughs> you know, I barely got through. At that time, it was what A thirty five physics, B fourteen two calculus. I'm sure it's something. What was your? Memory? It was about the same. I was civil, so yeah. I had all the. Yeah, I don't so remember all of the the, the different uh, math um, curriculum, uh -huh. but you know all of those had to be taken, and I remember all of them at all points being like, I'm pretty good at math. I was like. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on here. I'd be like, I'll yeah. go up with all these people at finals. And I would just study like crazy. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with the TAs. I think I got the B16 calculus, the fourth class, and that's when I just said, I said, I got to get out of tech. I can't do this anymore. I just, I mean, I didn't want to do it anymore. It was just like, I'm like, really? Is it really this serious? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of respect. I mean, Lee, he was in tech. He graduated with an engineering degree in tech. But I came out of CAS, um, so I still got a computer. Was, who was going down to these parties with you? Who, who, you just going Nobody. So you just getting on the train <laughs> yeah, by yourself, I, going yeah, to the power yeah. plant, going well, to Well, interestingly enough. But all your friends were there because yeah, a lot of men folks Yeah, there. I had a lot of friends over there. There were people from my neighborhood that were there. So mm -hmm. I, I got there, I had plenty of friends. And then eventually, there were some people that once I started spinning and I kind of clued them in, mm -hmm. I'd see them down there. I mean, we wouldn't ride down there together, but I'd actually see actually Northwestern people who didn't even live in Chicago. Yeah. At the power plant, so I was like, okay, so Interesting. Uh, quite an influence there. So how you how was that though, as a young person? You is it definitely a little bit of a difference, you know, sort of from that college. You recognize this is very different than Norris. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it changed a lot of people's lives, sort of that dichotomy between being sort of a young person, sort of understanding that scene, and sort of being influenced by that music. How did it affect you? Would you say? I would say it affected me. Um, well, let's talk about my grades first. Um, you asked me, uh, how did it affect my grades? Well, it had an adverse effect on my grades. I did two things at the same time, which was probably detrimental to my academic career at the time. One is I did Pledge Sigma, and I became more uh, drawn into my radio show. I, mean, I spent a lot of time trying to get my mixes right and everything, so I just kind of went through classes like, yeah, it was like something I had to do. Also, I had a personal issue. My parents were going through a divorce. That was tough. And so eventually, I just dropped out of school. And uh, between 83 and 85, I wasn't really a full-time student. And I'd take a class here and there, but I really wasn't in school. Um, yet, I stayed on a radio show. They kept my show. So I basically was DJing full-time. And at that point, I was actually able to start DJing more clubs because I wasn't in school. I was actually able to do the Rainbow, the COD, the Factory. I mean, that's when I began. Well, talk to me. So, wait, that's a, that's a story I have not heard. So, yeah. you're spinning, I'm thinking you're just spinning at Northwestern, mm -hmm. at, at NUR. No, so, now was, you're at CODs. Yeah, yeah CODs. Uh, I spun there with Farley, and then I think I spun it by myself. And I spun at the Rainbow Disco. I spun at the factory on the, uh, on the west side. Um, I never did stuff like, I don't know if you remember. Coconuts and AKA sure, yeah. on Broadway. Okay. I, I didn't spend those types of clubs. So, uh, so, but those are the venues I mostly spent at. I think I spent a couple times at the Rainbow. You are listening to Vintage House on WNUR with DJ Lori Branch, Kevin Mega McFall, and Lauren Lowry. It was like a little hole in the wall. But I mean, if they were willing to pay me, and I felt, you know, my life wasn't was in danger. Right. <laughs> Because I had actually, you know, it, it, that was some concern to me, too. I had a lot of people calling the show just talking crazy. So I had to be careful when I was out there. Because I had to, 
you know, people thought we were um, probably more professional than we were. They didn't realize we were just college kids, you know. Okay. So, but, um, but how did it really affect me? Well, actually, you know, you have to let me um, read this before you publish this. But, um, you know, there's a lot of substance abuse going on. And it's a fairly, uh, I would say, a fairly um, open life lifestyle. So you can get into a lot. Of, so, I mean, I had a lot of ladies coming in out of my life. A lot of. Fortunately, I didn't do the cocaine, but I did get into some drugs. But it was a lot of stuff was just accessible to me that that kind of, you know, made me take a look like, wow, this is so much different. Like you said, so much different than spinning it in orders. I mean, this is like the real deal. This is like, this is like big DJ spinning. So, um, the money was good, you know, and uh, the, uh, you know, the, I won't say fame, because I won't say it was fame, I mean, maybe locally, but it was nice to have people recognize you and want to, you know, hang out with you and get an autograph. It was just kind of strange. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to bring the board. We got a board where we want you to sign. I'm going to see you again, but you don't have to sign that, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Speaking of autographs. But, uh, I mean, I had, I mean, I had some interest. I had some. In, I had, let's say I had a few indecent proposals over the phone uh, from from ladies married, and I was, it was just like, what? <laughs> so uh, you know, I had to exercise a lot of restraint because I grew up so sheltered, and I wanted so badly to get away from that. And so uh, you know, I, I was a late bloomer in a lot of areas in my life. So it was it was tough, um, not. Being, I really wanted to go and do certain things, but fortunately I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a car at the time. I didn't have a lot of money, so fortunately, it, it, and, I, and I did want to stay in school. You know, I wanted to get back in school, so, um, but I will say that what happened to me, dropped out of school, got into drugs, uh, we'll just say women were in and out of my life, I won't go into any detail there, and, uh, not too many things. I, I I I didn't run into any life where someone was pulling a gun on me, you know, something like that. I mean, I mean, I mean, I had some threats, you know. Um, and I I know one time I I came out the studio and it was like three in the morning, and I freaked out because someone had chalked out a, a you know how you you know when someone dies mm -hmm. and they chalk the out like you know where the body was, and someone had done that outside the studio. And it just, I don't know, it just, it just kind of freaked me out. I was like, okay, what are they, what are they trying to say to me? I know. So, um, but other than that, I mean, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a good run. Uh, I would just say if I could do it over again, I probably would have tried not to have indulged as much in mind-altering substances as I did. So That's being young is about, though. Yeah. And then, you know, having local fame. I mean, I didn't even know what speed, purple hearts, and acid was. It was like, here, T, try this, here, try this. When I got to the rainbow, they took me upstairs after I spun, and it was just like it was just. Now I don't, I don't watch movies like Scarface, but I can only imagine. They just pulled back this table and just lines of cocaine. Say, here, man, and I was just like, no, nah, I don't mess around. So I did, but it was just, it was just interesting how things became available and just kind of opened up to me. Um, you know, and you know, I just wasn't quite used to that, so. It did change me. It, it let me see that the world was different than what I had been, you know, kind of cocooned into in my little northwestern bubble. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That. that I, I, you know, to me, it's a key question because I recognize that it's you know it's a very different uh, 
situation there. And so some people do react to those things differently. But certainly, uh, just so you know, you're certainly, as you probably know, not uncommon uh, sort of experiences <laughs> for a lot of people, yeah. um, whether they were DJs or not. Yeah. Um, so even the young kids, if they're 14, 15, sneaking out, going to the power plant, yeah. um, you know, they were experiencing interesting things. And, you know, even as the dancer, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And then, of course, you know, the, the gay scene there, too, was very different. And yeah, I had never, uh, like yeah, that was something that was quite a few, I guess there were, um, I guess you call them transgender, drag queens, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a, bit of, quite a bit of that going on, too. Um, and uh, Actually, one of my lady friends had to actually tell me, that was a guy, tell me, that was a guy. Really? Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, really? So, um, and then I had a lot of promoters, Tony Batoy, some other people calling me, mm -hmm. wanting to, um, you know, probably, like, manage me, or sure. try to get me to, you know, sign a contract, exclusive contract, that kind of stuff. Now that, and that kind of stuff just kind of turned me off. I was just like, I don't really, I don't want anyone to own my time, you know. Right. And I kept trying to tell these people, I said, listen, guys, I'm a college kid playing DJ on the radio. Yeah. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not this guy that's, you know, 20-something years old, living in a condo, driving luxury cars like that. Well, I'm going to let you know that we will probably want to do this again, and yeah. my partner, business partner, will probably would like to be there. He can't do so much midday. Right. Um, but more than likely, I, I'm going to talk, I want to talk a little bit more. I talked just a little bit about... Oh, so we're done? No. Oh. <laughs> but we talked, I talked a little bit about sort of the power plant and the music box, so we're not going to get to sort of maybe some other things. But tell me again, so... Um, you told me a little bit about sort of the atmosphere in these places. You know, what, what were the songs, what were the things that were sort of turning you on that made you want to sort of go get this? What were some of the things you were playing and you were listening to that were influential? Yeah, I don't know. I can name, I can name a number of songs. I just, uh, one, one song that, uh, I'll just name a few of them. One of them was called uh, Mainline by Black Ivory. Mm -hmm. Nothing is the same ever since you came, my baby. <laughs> And uh, I mean, they would just bang that. They pull the bass out and just ride the high EQs and then slam it back in. Shoom, nothing is the same. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you, all you could just grab a wall, a speaker, a pole. You just wanted to jack whatever was yeah. close to you. Uh, they did um, Jesse Saunders. There's a particular version of Funk You Up. And they would just ride those beats. It's an 808. And they would just pump that. But Ron Hardy, now I'm gonna tell you, this is I got this from him. He would ride. He would take the uh, the pitch control, put it all the way up, and he was just driving it and just. So I, you know, the the tempo was something that I picked up being in those places because they wouldn't play a lot of those songs on on the pitch, the perfect pitch. You know, they would they would push it up. You know. Three or four or five BPM beats per minute, just just to take the energy level. And I, and I, I started doing that in my mixes quite a bit. I, I didn't play a lot. A lot of the high energy and house music, I, I pitched that stuff up feverishly, <laughs> just just to get the energy going. I found that to be the case. There were some other songs that you never heard anywhere. Um, one called uh, "Out in the Night" by Surge. Um, the uh, the chorus goes. Uh, some, let me see, somewhere in the night, I'll be there, walking in the, it's very kind of a marchy type of thing, mm -hmm. um, and then of course, um, I'm trying to think there was one other song I was going to mention, 
don't know if you, of course you remember Jamie Principal did, uh, what was it? I Need Your Love, Your Love, Waiting on My Angel, mm -hmm. those type of things. Sure. Those type of songs, um, I mean, it's, I don't know, you'd like to be had to be there. It was just like they would come on and people would just lose their minds. And people would just, so that type of stuff, Dr. Love, I mean, stuff that my dad was playing. I'm like, what, they're playing Dr. Love? Because my dad used to play this stuff. I'm like, these people are jacking to it. I think the biggest thing that really influenced me that I never anywhere else was that they would go on these extended, like, three, five-minute beat tracks. With flash strobe lights, and um, you know when you're in an altered state of mind, I can I can have a very hypnotic <laughs> effect you on you, even if you weren't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but that that was good. And so, the, you know, you had the gay scene, you had the lesbian scene, the transgendered scene, um, and then the, the you know people were dressed to impress, mm -hmm. so the attire was very provocative. So it, it was. It was very musically, you know, but it was also very sensually charged, and I think that drew me in. Unfortunately, because I was just—I mean, I would just go there just looking for, you know, some lady to hook up with. Um, so, uh, I thought, and um, you know, the walls would actually be sweating. Yes, yeah, yeah. You remember that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it would be so hot, and but you didn't care. You know, the, the walls. Matter of fact, my partner, Dr. Mix, he actually wrote a... You are listening to Vintage House on WNUR with DJ Lori Branch, Kevin Mega McFall, and Lauren Laurie. Song about sweaty walls. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, interestingly enough. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and you can smoke a joint on this floor while you're dancing. That was nice. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 I mean, everyone did that. It's totally. It was. Uh, I, I, I was thinking, like, man, this must have been what Woodstock was about. It was just like, you know, uninhibited, you know, just unbridled. Just push the groove as far as you can go. Push the sensuality as far as you can go. Push the drugs as far as you can go. Stay open as long as you want from, right. from midnight to noon. Just, <laughs> right. Yeah. Just be out there. Yeah. Just. I mean, that's, I, I said so many times. I said, you know, this is what party is supposed to be. <laughs> That's funny. So, That's so. I mean, again, uh, uh, when you meet my business partner, he, you know, he talks about the fact that it changes. Let me realize, like, wow, this is this is it. This is it. I don't. I never want to go home. Like eight o'clock in the morning, I have to leave. This is ridiculous. And I just want to stay in that sort of state of mind. Yeah, I, I would leave the place, and I couldn't hear anything, Lauren. My ears would be ringing. All I would hear is this high pitch because that music was just so loud. But you never want to leave. Had to stay there. You never want to leave. So, yeah, I think at a later time, I do want to talk a little bit more about, I'm not going to ask you this now, because I, I mean, it is 1230 almost. Um, I've got time. But, um, I know you, you've, been, you've been pushing a lot to get my time, so I said I want to. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're very you. kind. I'm going to ask for some more, <laughs> by the way. But uh, I do want to talk about, um, you know, so at some point I do want to talk about CODs. You at CODs, you at Rainbow, you actually being the talent in the, you know, not just going to the park and hearing other people, but you being the talent, I want to hear about that too, you spinning with Farley, things like that. But I'm, I want to take you just back to NUR a little bit. Um, did you have people on your show, or did you talk to people at all? Did you bring mm -hmm. people, did you interview people, yeah, or what yeah. did you, who did you interview? I interviewed uh, Jesse Saunders, he was okay. a big one. 
Like how many times? Did you just come there once? Or twice. You he came down there twice. Yeah. Um, first time I had to go and pick him up. But that's a long story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he came. That's down. a story I want to hear. I think someone told me that. You might have told me I that. Told Tell you. me about that. Yeah, I was. Uh, so he, he um, I knew he lived on King Drive because his his, his just say record label said he's seventy two something King Drive, and I said he got got to be on the south side. Yeah. And uh, and so I had been playing with the idea. So I said I need to start getting people down here. All this local talent. And so KKC and CRX, we were all kind of talking because we, we listened to each other. So we kind of pumped each other up. And I kind of got the idea, I think, because they even started talking to bring in local talent. I said, I got to bring somebody down here. So I said, let me get Jesse. So I actually managed somehow to get a hold of Jesse. I don't even remember how. He and I talked on the phone. He said, yeah, I'll come down there. And he said, I got a new record, by the way. I, I want to I wanna talk about it and promote it. I said, okay, great. I said, my show starts at um, noon, so Saturday. And I gave him the, you know, the address. And so noon comes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, no Jesse, no Jesse. So I call him, and he's, uh, apparently he must, he hadn't left home yet. So I don't know if he overslept or what. And he said, he could, you know, he, he would try to get down there, but he, someone had to come get him. I'm like, huh? So, um, it's still, I still got a couple hours of my show left, so I, um, I get somebody around there to, to, to drive me out. And I had, uh, who did I, I had someone take over my show. <laughs> Oh, it was. I said, here, take over the mic. Just you got it. So you got to remember who took you down there, and you got to remember. I'm pretty sure my boss, uh, Dwight, probably was the one who took me down there. Dwight Milton. So Dwight was just your friend from the South Side, right? Well, he, he and I grew up. We we knew each other since first grade. Right. So you know each other since first. He just he's just at your show. Yeah. He doesn't. He's not in school. No. He lives on the South Side. Well, actually, he was living up north. Because he was going to Loyola for a while, he dropped out, and so he had an apartment north. So he was it would just from Loyola up to Evanston. He would just come. He would just come and hang. So he'd come out. He yeah, he just wanted to be in the studio. Gotcha. And he was one of the few people I you know I felt cool around because I you know known him forever. Yeah. So and uh, so yeah, he must have been the one because he had a car. And I do remember now when we were coming back, when Jesse was humming, we talked about that. So yeah, Jesse, because we used to talk about how Jesse would just kind of sing. You stopped to get some shadow in the trance. Oh, yeah, he can sing. So we were talking about how he was humming to the music and everything. So when we got back to Northwestern... Uh, um, okay, so no, no, no. So you okay. called him. He said he's not... He, he's, he needs a ride. Okay, and yeah. so then... So so I get to... So we get to his house. I mean, he lives in... This was a two-flat, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think his uh, aunt or mom or something let us in. And so we're, we're, you know, we're sitting there. And he comes out. And, you know, it's, it's the first time I see him, too. And I'm like, yeah... Looks like the guy that you know. He looks like the guy that you know. That I've seen at the the PowerPoint. That's him. Glad I never spoke to him. But he had been listening. I guess apparently he knew who I was because he was you know, teacher, I believe, and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, so eventually we we get in the car and we head on up to Northwestern. And um, let me know if you want me to give you fill in more details. So we get there and he's got a um, he's got a demo of Real Love. That it wasn't out yet. He released it in '85. So this must have been either late '84 or early. And um, so we get on the, get on the radio, and, and so while he's talking, I'm playing. You know, while I'm introducing him, I'm playing Jesse's song of beat tracks. You know, to mm -hmm. kind of kind of build the the atmosphere. You know, and so I start asking him similar questions about you. I said, man, how'd you start your first label? I mean, how'd you be the first guy to, you know, how'd you get this record out? You know, how'd you get your label and all this right. type of stuff? So and it went pretty well. Um, and then I, after some point, he started taking calls. And, Oh, interesting. From the, from the ladies. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, um, <laughs> which was cool. And then I actually, 
played his um, his demo, Real Love. There was one other song that I played while he was down there that he produced for Dr. Derelict Undercover. I don't know if you remember that song. It was on his label. And, and I had pitched it up, and I remember him saying, man, why'd you pitch that thing up so fast? I said, man, it's got more energy this way. So he said, man, slow that down. So, um, but, uh, but it was good. Actually, I, he pretty much took uh, probably the last hour of the show. So you had Jesse in a couple times. Who else did you have in? I had uh, Jesse uh, had Jesse Velez down there, but he uh, and he was about to release a uh, a song uh, called "Girls uh, on the Dance Floor," mm -hmm. which he did, and uh, and so he, and at that point I didn't even realize he was a, he was a local artist, but he actually had a couple of releases. But he unfortunately um, he uh, committed suicide shortly after. What do you what do you think about that? What what happened? You know, do you do you? I have no idea. I can't imagine. It's just like he was he was on the on the up and coming. He was on the rise. I can't imagine. You know. Mm. You know. Um, now the other people who I spoke to, I went to go talk to them. I didn't like uh, Larry Heard from Mr. Fingers, Marshall Jefferson, Steve Silk Hurley, Janie Green, the principal. I actually went to go talk to these guys and did my interviews pretty much on location in their studios or whatever. And I spent a lot of time hanging out with Marshall Jefferson. Really? Yeah, he, he had a house out south, and uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time hanging out with him. And so, you interviewed them. Did you tape or something and take a no, house? No, unfortunately I didn't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately no, I didn't have like a recorder on me or anything. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I would talk to them. And then, I think a couple of times I had, um, I don't know if I had someone patched in, but no, actually I, I, would, I would interview these guys, talk to them, and then I'd come back and talk about them. So I guess I guess unless I actually had them in the studio, I guess people could have just said, oh, he's lying. <laughs> I talked to everybody. <laughs> yeah. But see, I didn't take, you know, Laura, I guess in hindsight, I guess if I, if I had known that at some point in the future I was going to have to, you know, think about what, what was going on back then, I would have taken care to record a lot more of my shows. I don't have a show really. I mean, people, someone finally posted one of my mixes on the line. I saw it not too long ago, but, uh, but uh, unfortunately, as an archivist, I know this is where you, this right. is where you live and thrive. <laughs> hey, I, I want artifacts. I want recordings. Exactly. We have to prove what you're saying is the thing. So yeah. first we memorialize yeah. it, and then we back it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's really you know what history you know is about. So people could just say anything, but it's like we got to find something that proves he was actually yeah. there. I'm gonna see if I can find some of the posters that I had because my that's um, when I was living, I was staying with the wife for a while, and, and I had all these like poked up. The walls were lined with posters that I had been all the places I had spun. Wow! And um, and it was interesting because having grown up with him, we know each other since we were six years old. You know, when he looked at me and said, "Man, I'm living with a like he said like a celebrity or something." That's when it really hit me for the first time. Because what anybody else but someone that close to you thinks you're a celebrity? <laughs> thinking you're a celebrity, and then I was like, "Oh, okay." Then it, then it kind of hit me the uh, the kind of influence that we might have been having. Clearly, you yeah. did have <laughs> even then, and I think it is hard to recognize that it, you might influence people. Yeah, when I mean, you're living in the moment, you're just thinking like I'm just I'm just doing what I'm doing. You don't you know? even think you don't about realize it. it. And then, as I think, if no one's around you as a young person saying, you know, why don't you keep that? But there are some, you know, there are some unique people. Like Gene Hunt has kept everything he's ever had his name on. You know what I mean? It's today we had an event where we showcased his archive, and. Um, 
you know, some people, are, they're pack rats or their parents are, you know, whatever, clean, you know, you've got to keep everything in one place, that kind of thing. You put it in a box and you, you know, put it in a place where you think it won't be damaged. Um, so sometimes people do that, but other times it's not valued at all. And most black people, I feel like, don't value history in that way. No, and so we, we probably don't. Um, the best I can do is say, hey, call this guy. He's, he's, he knows about me. Right, exactly. So, yeah, that that's really interesting. I think, um, yeah, clearly you, you had an influence on, I mean, first of all, Tisha, I believe, is just a cool last name. So, again, tell me, again, so you told me already, but tell me, Tisha, where did it come from? What year did you come up with that? Well, Chablis goes all the way back to my uh, high school years. Uh, one of the guys I was hanging out with gave me that name. It was three of us. He was Don Juan. We had another guy named Chief, and he gave me Chablis. So they, Don Juan gave you Chablis. Yeah, he came up with the what name. What is Don Juan's actual name? Donald Berry. Okay. And so who were they? These were my, uh, these were people we, uh, these were my, my study buddies in high school. Okay. Um, all went to Mendel? Yeah, we all went to Mendel. And uh, we all graduated together in 81. Um, and um, yeah, we would, we would actually be on the phone three-way doing our homework. Interesting. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he was kind of like, you know, I guess you could say the, 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 the ringleader because, you know, if, you know, and he wouldn't do it to me, but he would always give Chief a lot of issues. If, if, if Chief said something, he said, man, I'm going to dispatch you, and he would just cut him off. And, and then Chief called <laughs> He was pretty rude. Uh, but he would call me shop late. And I, I kind of tried to figure out why, but I think he was trying to say it was a, a way of saying I was smooth as a white wine. Gotcha. So I was like, okay. So when I got to Northwestern, I was like, okay, this is, what, 84, probably going when I'm about to start my radio show. And um, actually, I think the, um, you know what, Lauren? I think the T-Shablee kicked in when I was a Sigma because that's when I think I came up with my, I had to come up with a, a name. Mm -hmm. I was Deuce. So I had T-Shablee. So that's where that name came from. Okay. Not that you, I just thought about that. I, remember, I can see that Sigma shirt, which I don't have. Maybe I have the cane that has T-Shablee on it. Oh, that would be I'll interesting. I'll see if I can find yeah. my Sigma <laughs> cane. But uh, yeah, that's where I first coined that name. Gotcha. T from Tim, Shablee from my high school. And so when I went on the radio later, that's where I just I just carried it over. I was like, I can't think of a... And it rhymed with everybody else. It gets Easy Lee, Sweet and Lee, T-Shop Lee. Okay. <laughs> so it worked out. It all worked out. So that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So what did you all know about Chablis in like high school? So you just drink it Chablis. And I, like, how do you know that's smooth and goes down? You know, like that's yeah. kind of interesting. Like, I didn't From the Catholic high school. Yeah, right? I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it. He just came up with it, and I just I just went with it. Like and it, it didn't pretty much stuck with me for uh, graduation. They were like, Chablis. Just Chablis. Gotcha. So I am going to stop it here. It is almost 1 o'clock. Um, but I do. we have to do this again because we haven't discussed, again, you at parties. So you as talent. Thanks for listening to the Vintage House Show podcast. Check us out every third Wednesday, 10 a.m. Central Time. But be prepared for surprise drops throughout the month. Also, Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Check us out live on WNUR 89.3 FM. Evanston, Chicago, and HD1, and also our social media channels at The Vintage House Show.